0: I'm Toby Logsden and this is your weekly Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Lesson 1 in Proverbs chapter 6 verses 23 to 26. Solomon writes For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids, for on account of a harlot one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. For the child who's being given one set of instruction after another, eventually they'll likely think to themselves, why should I pay you any mind? Why should I heed your advice? This passage comes on the coattails of Solomon instructing his son to observe the commandments of the father and not forsake the teachings of the mother. Any parent knows that kids eventually learn that they can completely change the subject of a conversation by simply asking, Why? over and over and over again until they're blue in the face. Solomon's answer is simple. He says that the commandment is a lamp. What commandment? The commandment of the Father. Then Solomon says that the teaching is light. What teaching? The teaching of the mother, which the child was just instructed not to forsake. The image that one should get here is that without the commandment of the Father and without the teaching of the mother, the child is in complete darkness. Without clinging to the instruction of the parents, the child is blind to wisdom. Just to add good measure, Solomon throws in a second reason for the child to heed the instruction of the parents, writing that reproofs for discipline are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Of course, for anyone who's following along verse by verse in this study, this mention of the adulterous woman... We'll bring a bell since it's this matter that Solomon started warning his son about back in chapter five. Thus far, Solomon has warned his son against following her, against going near her, or against committing adultery with her. At first glance one might think that all these warnings are sufficient, but they're not, they're far from sufficient. All those sins have to do with the physical actions on behalf of the son, but sin starts long before it's acted out. Sin always starts in a person's thoughts. For that reason, Solomon issues the warning which is most difficult to follow when he warns against even desiring her beauty in his heart. Beauty is truly one of the most deceiving things. When the Venus flytrap, for example, is holding its jaws wide open, it has some type of appeal to insects because it secretes a scent, which draws them in, and it has a red platform, which looks pretty to sit on. Beauty can do the same thing to a man, drawing him in and causing him to desire to experience that beauty on a more intimate level in his heart. The more one thinks about a woman's beauty, the more captured he is by it. And the more he's captured by it, the more likely he is to act on those desires. Solomon's word of advice is that while the adulteress might be beautiful, you need to get your mind on other things. This is the type of woman who knows how to manipulate a man with nothing more than her eyes, whether that be a wink or a flutter of the eyelashes or whatever. And finally, Solomon warns his son of the extreme risks of loss, which go along with the adulteress woman. He says, on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread and an adulteress adulterous hunts for precious life. To use a modern term, Solomon is saying that this woman is a man-eater. You're like a loaf of bread in her hands and she's going to eat you alive. What starts with desire in a man's heart ends with incredible loss. Loss of things that aren't worth risking in the first place. This concludes Lesson 1. Lesson two, in Proverbs chapter six, verses 27 to 29, Solomon writes, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. In our passage today, Solomon continues to warn his son of the dangers of getting involved with an adulterous woman. We would do well to remember that this includes desiring her beauty in his heart, engaging in a full on encounter with her, and everything in between. One of the things that every parent has to warn their children of, at some point or another, is the danger of touching hot things. In the wintertime, for example, I'm constantly reminding my kids not to sit too close to the fireplace, right? Or when I'm cooking something, I'll constantly warn them about touching the hot stove before they walk by and accidentally touch the hot surface. In our passage today, Solomon likens the dangers associated with getting involved with an adulterous woman to touching hot things. First, Solomon says, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? When a person touches something that's hot, that's one thing, but when someone picks up a flame and tries to put that inside of their clothing, the result is pretty predictable. They're going to get burned, and get burned very badly. The point here is that messing around with a woman who isn't your wife is like playing with fire, and people who play with fire get burned. If that illustration didn't work, Solomon gives a second, asking, or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Of course, people do walk on hot coals and show no physical damage, but even people who walk on hot coals know that it's risky business. Solomon is simply using this as a figure of speech to illustrate the point that playing with fire will get you burned. Solomon likens the person who gets involved with his neighbor's wife to the person who plays with fire. And remember what Jesus taught when he was asked, who's my neighbor? His answer was that it includes everyone, including your worst enemies. One of the principles that the dean at my seminary drove home repeatedly was that we as men should never be alone with a woman other than our wives, not in a car, not in an office, nowhere. I've heard one story after another of pastors and ministry leaders who failed to heed such wisdom and who ended up being accused of some pretty heinous things. The wise person doesn't even want to create an opportunity for anyone to draw conclusions, whether those conclusions are true or not. People love to gossip, and the last thing that we want to do is give them something to gossip about. Finally, Solomon informs us that getting involved with another man's wife will not be inconsequential. There will be consequences. Those consequences might be physical or emotional. They might be temporary or they might be eternal. Either way, there's no such thing as no strings attached when it comes to adultery. And while you can hide your actions from others, you can't hide them from God. The Bible teaches that marriage belongs exclusively to God, and it's no coincidence that our world is becoming less and less reverent and less fearful of God at the same time that we also see that divorce rates are rising and people no longer view shacking up as sinful. Marriage is sacred because it belongs entirely. To God. You might think it's your marriage, but you only play a part in it. All life belongs to God, and thus nothing you own is really your own. Marriage belongs to God because he created it for the sake of illustrating his relationship and his loving faithfulness to us as the bride of Christ. For that reason, God takes serious, serious offense to the person who steps in and taints marriage with either emotional or physical adultery. This concludes lesson two. Lesson 3. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 30-32, to Solomon writes, Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. In the passage that we're examining here today, we see that Solomon is drawing a comparison of sorts between two commandments. One commandment says, you shall not steal. There are times and circumstances, however, when the act of stealing can be justified to an extent, at least among men. Let's say that you lived by yourself, and you had more bread than you knew what to do with, enough to feed a family of ten for a year, if the bread could stay mold-free for that long, that is. But let's say that you had hoarded all of this bread just to yourself. Now, your neighbor knows that you have all of this bread, but he has none for himself or for his family. In fact, he has nothing to eat at all, and neither do his kids. And let's say that one of his kids has gone at least a week without eating anything and you were aware of this but you didn't even offer to share any of your bread with him and so while you're out one day your neighbors worry that his child is about to die and so he reaches in through your kitchen window and steals a loaf of your bread would you blame him would you hate his guts of course not Well, not if you're a sensible human being anyway, but you know, it could be argued that you were in sin in the first place for hoarding your food, which was bound to go stale sooner or later anyway, rather than sharing it with those in need. Your neighbor's act of stealing a loaf of bread is a small sin in comparison. In the Old Testament, provision was made in the law for recompensation in cases like this, and it was typically full repayment plus 20% of what was initially taken. Solomon's telling us here that in extreme cases, repayment can be up to seven times For the person who has to steal a loaf of bread, if we're being honest, asking them to repay with seven loaves of bread is obviously an enormous burden on them. But here's where the comparison comes in, because there's another commandment that says you shall not commit adultery. Well, anyone who's experienced the unfaithfulness of a spouse will tell you that there's nothing that can compensate for the pain caused by their spouse's unfaithfulness. Nothing. When someone whose spouse has been unfaithful pours out their emotions with you, you might be able to catch just the slightest of glimpses of the pain that they're experiencing. In the previous passage, Solomon likened adultery to playing with fire only for it to burn the person very badly. The person whose spouse has been unfaithful would choose such physical pain over the emotional torment of adultery every single time. The Christian band Reliant K once had a song that said, Wisdom always chooses black eyes and bruises over the heartache that they say never completely goes away. Nothing in this world compares to the pain that adultery causes, and for the person who commits adultery and repents, there's no guilt that compares either. To multiply that pain seven times would be enough to bring certain death to a person, which is why the penalty for adultery under the law of Moses was death for both participants. For this reason, Solomon says that the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking in any sense whatsoever, and is the type of person who would destroy themselves for the sake of momentary, fleeting pleasure. Having seen this happen in the life of one of the men at my seminary and the anguish that he went through, I've witnessed the pain that a man feels when his wife is unfaithful. But I've also seen the power of forgiveness as he chose to forgive his wife, to go through marriage counseling, and for the Lord to take those broken pieces of this marriage and put them back together stronger than ever before. It's not easy. It's painful for both the husband and the wife. But thankfully, our Lord just so happens to be in the business of healing broken hearts and making it whole again. The entire Bible is a story of reconciliation. From Genesis through Revelation, the themes of reconciliation and restoration come up time and time again. God can and God will most certainly repair and reconcile the marriage which is torn apart by an adulterous affair if both spouses are willing to submit themselves completely to the Lord. As for the consequences to the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, we'll take a look at that in our next lesson. For now, however, Solomon simply wants us to understand that God sees adultery as shamefully reckless, if not suicidal. This concludes lesson three. Lesson 4. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 33-35, to 35, Solomon writes, Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied, though you give him many gifts. In our previous lesson, we looked at a comparison between two commandments and saw that it takes a seriously twisted, depraved, and maybe even suicidal man to commit adultery with another man's wife. In this passage today, Solomon discusses the consequences that such a man faces. A man gets involved in this type of relationship for a variety of reasons, but ultimately, it's all about experiencing a moment of pleasure. While a moment of pleasure might seem appealing Solomon tells us that the ultimate consequence that he'll find is wounds and disgrace. Let's talk about the kinds of wounds that result from an adulterous relationship. First of all, there are spiritual wounds. Marriage belongs to God, and thus by engaging in an adulterous relationship, he's trying to steal or destroy something that God designed as holy and sacred. All sin separates us from God, and adultery is no exception. Deep down inside, we all know that sexual sin is much more serious than other sins, because, as Paul noted in writing to the Corinthians, every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. The shame that this causes pushes a person further away from God than they would have been otherwise, because they fear the punishment for their sin. Secondly, there are emotional wounds. For the woman, there's a guilt and a feeling of worthlessness because they gave their body to someone it didn't belong to. For the husband of the woman, there's anger, intense anger. There's sadness, unlike any other sadness. There's insecurity because he doesn't know who he can trust anymore and feels so deeply betrayed that he's likely to build hardened walls around his heart. Third, there's the possibility of physical wounds. When a man is betrayed, he's brought to a point where he feels like he has nothing left to live for. When he feels like he has nothing left to live for, he feels like he has nothing to lose. When he feels like he has nothing to lose, he's dangerous. Extremely dangerous. Now, I'm not condoning retribution. Rather, I'm just saying that in this state of rage, the possibility exists more strongly than in most other situations. Solomon writes that jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare the man committing adultery with his wife in the day of vengeance. The NIV V. renders this verse as saying, jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. That's a bit of a paraphrase, but it's completely accurate. If the husband does seek revenge, or if the man who committed adultery with his wife experiences overwhelming guilt, there might be temptation on behalf of the guilty man to try to somehow compensate the husband as a means of appeasing his wrath. Solomon tells us that there's nothing That will do the job. There's such an intense cluster of emotions in the husband that even if he's temporarily appeased by a bribe or a gift or an apology, the possibility of revenge will continue to exist. John Phillips writes in his commentary on Proverbs, he says, quote, the man whose wife has been stolen usually knows only one goal, vengeance fired by jealousy and rage. The desire for revenge is unappeasable, end quote. The man who's guilty of adultery will need to go through life looking back over their shoulder constantly. It's just not worth that quick moment of pleasure. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.